Welcome to the next episode of Confessions of a Female Leader. I am Sarah, your host, and today we're talking about having a poker face. And I do not mean the Lady Gaga song. I'm talking having one in meetings with your staff, because as we all know, in leadership, there is this inherent power we have, uh, whether or not we want it or not, for people to want our approval. And sometimes that could be at the detriment of our team. And if we're in meetings and we're giving signals that things are good or bad, most of the time our staff are not giving their much needed opinions or their ideas are being creative and we're stifling it without even knowing it. So I give you three ways that I have personally worked on this, ways you can work on this during meetings or even skipping the meetings and really get back to what your team does best, which is coming up with great ideas, being creative, innovative, and just being absolutely wonderful. So enjoy. Hello and welcome to Confessions of a Female Leader. I'm your host, Sarah, and today I'm talking about the time I learned that I needed to have a poker face. Anybody else, anybody else, you know, relate to this? I think there's lots of sides to leadership. Let me first off by saying there's the rally the troops. There's stand and deliver speeches. Uh, you're the one to say no. You're the one to take the fall. You get my point. All of these things come with a certain set of body language, motion, uh, the embodiment of what a boss does. And <laughs> for the most part, they're, they're just, they come with the job. But the thing that we don't really acknowledge most of the time is the fact that we have this inherent ability to sway decisions simply just by being a boss, by being a leader, by being the person who oversees the team. And oftentimes this is something we recognize. <laughs> or if you're like me, it's something you're embarrassed by or work towards not uh, having this inherent, uh, inherent sway over people. But it just, it comes with the job, right? And if you have the title of boss, it means you are technically the decision maker. You have the ability to say no. You're the person who, who I mean, think about it. You go to your boss and if you have a great idea, you're waiting with bated breath, or maybe this is just me, to see if they like it or they don't like it. And sometimes that makes your day and sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> like sometimes it ruins your day or sometimes it causes you to go back and rethink things. I mean, they really have the end-all be-all. How many, you know, we can't really not involve our boss or we shouldn't not involve our boss because we want to make sure that we aren't circumventing this, I don't know, this system we've put ourselves into, this hierarchy we've put ourselves into. So with that comes this inherent ability for people to look at us as if we are the end-all be-all in a decision of anything, which 
honestly, we need people in the world like that, right? We, we always need someone who can, who humans, I think naturally just need someone who they can look to and get some sort of guidance or a post of, is this good or bad? And it falls to us as bosses. And a lot of us put ourselves in this position because we, we, we have the ability to do that. And we, we love being able to do that. For me, it's the ability to empower people to make their own decisions. And I'm just here to come along for the ride and help you get there. So for me, it's a little bit of a juxtaposition because we all want to lead and, and make people feel empowered for the work that they do. We want them to contribute. We want them to be creative, innovative. We don't want to be the ones, most of the time, who who have to be the person doing the work or getting into the ideas. You want your team to do that. They're the ones who's actually in and out of it every single day. They're the, they're the boots on the ground. You don't have time to do that. And you want, overall, a self-sufficient team. And... I would like to say that that's what happened in my experiences with teams, but I I based actions and outcomes on on some some situations that happened to me. So like I would find that my staff even though I would give them free range and you know throw out the carpet and say do whatever you want, here's just the basic outline, go do I would find that anyway, they would still come and ask for my permission. And oftentimes, I felt like I was giving the message to be innovative, to be creative. But there was always some block, or for some people, there was always some block where they felt like they they still needed my permission in order to just take that next step, even though I was saying, just take that next step. And I never quite understood that. I never quite understood what about me was saying to them that you could go and do these things, but you still needed to ask my permission? And I, I really, I really tried to show this by doing team events like uh, brainstorming events where we would just sit into a room. I would, I would be the person who was asking the question and asking people to give answers. And never a once did I say one answer was good for the, you know, than the other. We would all get down to what the solution was at the end of it and go do and have our action items. And most of the time that worked and sometimes it, it still didn't work. <laughs> sometimes it was still a reluctance almost as if I was tricking them <laughs> into into doing what they wanted to do. I, I'm not really sure, but I, I just, it has always, in the back of my mind, bothered me why we do this. And, and I would really get to the point where when people would come to me with an idea, I was so in awe of their idea. Like they were way out of, I, I you know, it, it was amazing to me. It was way out of the context of something we'd ever done, but still in line with the overall goals. And I would just sit there in awe and wonder, why do they feel like they have to have my permission for that? That's like really awesome. Why wouldn't they just go and do it? And then I heard something from Simon Sinek once. And he said that leaders should sit in meetings and just listen without nodding or shaking their heads. 
And you can imagine for a person like me who has a very bad poker face. In fact, early into my career, I cannot tell you how many performance conversations I had or, well, you know, the yearly performance conversations where I had at least two different bosses tell me, Sarah, you really need to work on your poker face. And for me, that was really, really hard. But Simon says that giving your opinion in in any form or fashion, whether it be by words or an, even a nod, a smile or a shake, could unknowingly give the opinion that you're you're for this idea or not for this idea. And you're essentially stopping the creative motion of that meeting. You're uh, possibly giving the person an idea that maybe uh, this isn't the right way to go or uh, maybe this is just enough. The other side of the coin on that is what you're giving not to just that person, but what you're giving to the rest of the people in the meeting is, I like this person's idea, so you might as well not say anything. And that's probably the worst thing you could do. Or if I'm agreeing with, you know, unknowingly showing my support of this idea and someone in the uh, room has something that might be counter to that or have a difference of opinion, now I'm squelching that where there can be no discussion because I'm giving my seal of approval without, you know, being able to hear the rest of the, of what everybody has to say. And I, I definitely can understand that. Given this inherent ability that we have as leaders to give the end-all, be-all decisions, it is very natural for people to look to us for that approval and and cause them maybe not to say the things that they need to say or change the way that they want to say something just so that they can get that approval or maybe not uh, be at discourse with me. Not to say that I was ever... Uh, you know, abusive in that power. It's just, it was just, again, a natural thing. And you want all the, you want all the ideas on the table. You don't want to give anybody the idea that this one idea is, is it. You don't want people to not talk during these meetings. It's just, it's just not, it's just not the way of the team. And it's really not what a good leader should be doing because you you might have all that power, but you don't need to expend all that power. And I have always been the subscriber of questions because you might be asking at this point, okay, if I'm not supposed to be giving any indication as to whether I liked it or I didn't like it, then what in the world am I supposed to do in those meetings? Do I just sit there and have like a blank stare on my face? Because trust me, when I learned about this, I started thinking, well, what in the heck is the point of me being in that meeting? You know, why why should I even be there? And then I learned the power of questions and curiosity. And I used that in my team meetings and I use it in my one-on-one meetings. But even those come with uh, come with a little bit of, of care because you don't want them to come off smugly. So I have three ways that you can be more open and especially not giving any, well, 
where you can have a poker face, if you will, in these meetings with with this idea of not giving away anything. So the first one I would say is truly to be genuinely open and curious. The first thing that I would do is just just sit there and listen, 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 and really dive into what is being said and what more you need to know in order to understand it. And asking questions can lead to this better understanding, of course, right? So if I'm asking questions about it, it can be hard not to come off as passive aggressive and, you know, ask questions like, well, you know, why do you think this da da da? Or it's in tone. Again, it's body language. It's all in the way that you ask the question. And if it is not from a genuine place, people are going to know. So I would ask questions like, what led you to this solution? This would give me an idea of what challenges they faced before they even came here. Uh, maybe it was something that I wasn't even aware that they were going through and that enlightened me in so many different ways. It also allowed me to understand how they even gathered this information to help me feel a little bit more at ease with how they got here or just educate myself. Really, honestly, I just wanted to educate myself because I was not in the trenches with them. Sometimes I would ask, what do you see as your next steps? And maybe, maybe not to the point where I would want a solution at that point, but I would want to hear, have they, have they really looked further than this? And this would guide other viewpoints and other questions that might lead to other, other ideas. I had, I, I had someone once who, who would take this idea of asking questions to a whole different level. I remember coaching them and I remember them saying to me, but I just, I'm not, I can't ask these questions. I already know the answers to these questions. And it was true. They knew a lot, but they didn't know a lot about how to come at it from their employee's point of view. I believe they had, I felt like they had a very linear point of view in the sense that they only knew one way how to do something. And for them, that really, that really furthered the case for their staff not to give ideas. And it was a very tough, tough thing. So what I asked them to do was start getting curious and be genuinely, you know, uh, questioning what, what was, how they got there. And I remember them coming back to me and they told me, okay, I did what you said. I went into it. I went with questions and here's how I did it. And the way that they did it was in a sense that they, they swayed the decision through their questions. So when they were asking questions, it wasn't to be genuinely curious and find out more. It was more they were asking questions in a way where it would cause the person giving the idea to question themselves and question how they even got there, why they got there, if this, if this idea was even good enough. And it got so bad to the point where the staff would eventually just give up and they would say, you know what, just tell us how to do it. Just tell us how to do it. I, you know, how do you want us to do it? And we both knew at that point that that did not make make the full circle of what really needed to happen. So if you are not 
genuinely curious, don't ask the question. Your staff will know. Your staff will know that you're trying to sway their ideas, that you're trying to change their mind with the guise of being a team member or being supportive. And that is probably one of the worst things to do because that will not only close the conversation, but it will not allow for further conversation down the line as well because they will feel like you're you're trying to trick them into doing something that you want them to do versus uh, understanding what they're doing. The second thing is obviously to have a good poker face in these meetings or any type of interaction that you have. Again, this was very difficult for me because early in my career, like I said, the, the performance reports that I had, they told me I needed to work on it. And I remember being so upset by this because I felt like people should know if I'm disagreeing without me even saying anything. This was a precursor for me to allow me, you know, to allow for this time with them to let them know exactly how much I disagreed with them. <laughs> and a lot of times that got me in trouble and it did not further my case. It actually upset people more than it helped the situation. And I see this also with staff as well. Again, going back to that inherent boss attitude where people look at you because you are the boss, you are in this upper echelon, I don't know, position. It's, it's coming back to practicing what Simon Sinek suggested in the meetings. I tried this and sometimes it didn't often go as planned. Sometimes I was too much in my head trying so hard not to have uh, any type of emotion on my face at all that it didn't come off naturally. And what I would say to this is if it's not natural to you, continue to practice it. Be mindful of what you're doing. Catch yourself when you're doing it. And I promise you with practice and with understanding of uh, the room, the people you're with, I promise you it does get easier and it does get better. And you'll learn to take yourself away from being in the meeting. And what I mean by that is you're, you're a part of the meeting. You are not overseeing everything. Sometimes it's it's easier to understand that your role is there just to be part of the team. Even if they don't understand that, that's something that you can reinforce and let them know, just even by the fact that you're not saying a word, that you are still part of the team. If you're letting the dialogue happen around you and Maybe no one's asking you for your opinion, which that would be great because you want them to have their own conversations, then that is probably the goal that you want. And by not having any type of body language that shows otherwise, facial expressions, or even crossing your arms or sitting back in your chair, I had this bad habit of doing that. People, when people would see me sit back in my chair and look, <laughs> look at them from the other side of the desk, I was told that that was intimidating. So make sure that you understand what your body language does and what your face does and just watch the scene around you without having to feel like you have to be involved in it. I promise you, you will see a different, a different side of your team that will, that you will see so much more contributions happening. And that's what you really want. You want a self-sufficient team, which leads me to my third one. 
So if you are part of the meeting, and maybe you need to start thinking about if you do actually need to be part of the meeting. This was something that I started to do uh, once I understood how I was affecting the meetings. If I didn't really need to go to a meeting to give a stamp of approval or whatever they were needing from me, I often declined to go to the meeting. This set the tone to let them know, hey, I trust you. I trust that you know what you're doing, because I really did. Uh, I trust you to know what you're doing. I trust you to understand what the outcomes are. I trust you to understand how to get there. You are the experts. So I don't need to sit in there. I don't need to do anything. This led to some very interesting decisions that came my way. Oftentimes, thing, actions would happen first before they came my way. I was obviously told they were going to happen because I always like to stay in the loop, not because I felt like I needed to, but you never know from uh, higher ups if there's going to be questions and you never want to be in front of your boss not knowing something. Just a little tip there. But this allowed my team to not see me as the end all be all and micromanaging them and their decisions. This was the team that I wanted. I. I did not have time, nor do you probably have time, to sit in a bunch of meetings all day to hear every single idea, every single thing. Of course, there are going to be some important meetings that you need to be in, uh, and you can determine those, but when it comes to what your team is doing, trust them. Trust that you've put things in place that will allow them to get to that next step of, of where they need to go and trust that they can work together. Now, if they can't, then that's a whole different, well, it's a whole different episode, but it's also a whole different idea of what, what your team needs from you. I really do think that if you practice this not coming to meetings, there's a couple of things that will happen. One, you'll, you'll start to learn that you don't have to have the control on everything. You really don't. You really don't want the control of everything either. The other thing that you notice is that you're you're starting to encourage a culture that allows for fresh new idea uh, new ideas that have no judgment attached to them. That there is collaboration happening in or out of meetings, doesn't really matter. Maybe they don't have to have a meeting, but those things are coming to you. They're bubbling to the surface because people are excited or great things are happening because of these fresh, new, innovative ideas. And you don't have to be a part of any of it other than you at the end of the day praising your team for doing these things. That's the cheerleader side of leadership. That's the important side of leadership. It... It's really a hard thing to grasp if you're so used to being in things. I understand for middle management managers, because I was there, I remember being a director and having to be a part of a lot of different things. I remember that it was so necessary for me to be in meetings so that I could understand what was going on. So I understand that factor of it. But I'm talking also about innovative things, you know, the the ideas. You, you don't have time to control all of those. And sometimes it's just better to set up the serve and watch your team go. So think of some ways that you can release that control where you can encourage maybe more ideas 
and more dialogue with your team by skipping a meeting or two. I promise you it gets easier with each one you do. Maybe it's not the first <laughs> the first or second time you do it that you feel comfortable, but find small ideas or small ways um, that you can maybe relinquish yourself from these meetings and and see how that feels. See see how different your team reacts. If they start to question, why are you not going to my meetings? Just reinforce, I trust you. I trust you know what you're doing and I don't need to be at everything. I'm really excited for the ideas that you're gonna show me that you've been working on. Maybe set up some time for them to come back to you in a month. Oftentimes I would do this as well. I would say, all right, we need a, a new A, B, and C. I would give them very vague information, just really the outcome that I wanted in terms of the goals. And I would say, okay, here's the team. I'm, you know, put the team together and I want you guys to, you know, come back within a month and here's the first thing I want. So I would give them the goal and I would give them the expectation. In between, I, you know, I had the option to follow up with them or they always had the option to ask me a question but I wouldn't go to the meetings. I would allow them to come to the meetings themselves or schedule their own meetings or whatever they needed, find the research, find, you know, I would allow them to do that because I didn't need to be part of that. I trusted completely that they knew what they were doing. And the reward for me was I got back time. The other reward was I could see when they were talking to me how great they felt about the work that they were doing. And that was probably the most rewarding part for me. So I want you to think about, as leaders, how inherently it feel, how inherent it feels for staff to see us in a, a, a boss mode and how intimidating that can be, especially in meetings, even in your one-on-ones. Think about ways that you can uh, diffuse that or neutralize that, even though that's that's not really an easy thing to do. And half the time, we don't even know what's happening. But how can you diffuse those those corrections uh, that that you might be giving off to people? Be open to seeing what discomforts people are having, or even the fact that people aren't even coming to you uh, with their ideas. They're mostly just coming to you for permission to do the ideas, that's when you know that, oof, I might have a problem. And for me, that was something that I really had to step back out of my position and go, okay, how how can I encourage more creativity, more innovativeness, and the fact that I don't need to be the end-all be-all? And I'll be very honest with you, I never mastered that. There was always a sense from my team that they needed permission from me. Uh, it was never 100%, especially it really depend on what projects were going on. But I still, I still worked at it. I still wanted to get to that point where they didn't value my opinion so much that they didn't move to the next step. I appreciated, I so appreciated, truly, that they wanted me to be a part of the decision making because ultimately they knew I had to be. But I really wish I could have gotten them to the sense that 
they were they were more self-sufficient and trust me they were a great team i i have been very blessed with some really great teams but this was just something that i felt i needed to work on a little bit more and i really think these three different ways if you if you're struggling with that could be one one or two ways that you might be able to pull back and see where you can give your team more uh more autonomy more more ability to just meet without you and <laughs> figure things out uh challenge your staff challenge your staff to think outside the box in new and better ways without you and see where that goes pick one thing pick one area that you think is maybe stagnant or could use more ideas and show them maybe you teach them how to get there through brainstorming uh which leads to you having no opinion by the way and see where that goes see how that gets you to the next step and i would love to know i would love to know how how that's going for you or if you have any questions on that you can email me at podcast at keldricks.com if you have any questions or you can go to my website at sarahhendricks.co and i would love your feedback Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you in the next one. This has been Confessions of a Female Leader with your host, Sarah Hendricks. You can find me at sarahhendricks.co, on Instagram at Miss Sarah Hendricks, and you can email me at podcast at keldricks, K-E-L-L-D-R-I-X.com. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. I so appreciate you listening. We'll see you in the next one. Mm-hmm.